0: Hey, i Snacks. It's Chelsea back for another episode of the Sass Snack Files. Uh, this episode, I decided to do a Facebook Live for 305 Freedom and Whiskey. So if you didn't catch it live, here is the edited, recorded version of my chat with everybody. Um, there are some random silences or conversations with people that are leaving comments in the live. So if you're a little bit confused, that may be where that's coming from. As always, if you have any questions about this episode or any other episode of The Sassnack Files, please make sure to send me an email to thesassnackfiles at gmail.com. You can find The Sassnack Files podcast on all sorts of listening platforms, including iTunes, CastBox, Spotify, Google Podcast, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and many, many more. Also, if you have not got your votes in for the final four of the best episodes of season four bracket, make sure to head over to Facebook and Instagram to cast your votes there. Without further ado, this is my analysis of 305 Freedom and Whiskey. Enjoy! this episode every time I watch it is just gets me in the feels, you know? Um, I always tear up a little bit. It kind of has a special place in my heart. I think under Dragonfly and Amber, it's probably my favorite episode of the series. So yeah, I was just watching it and I was like, mm, I really want to talk about it with you guys. So Feel free to leave some comments, but uh, without further ado, I am going to get into this shindig. So without further ado, we're going to talk about freedom and whiskey. Like I said, it's one of my favorite episodes of the series, so I'm very, very excited to chat with you guys about it. Um, I know last week we talked about how, sorry, Of Lost Things is about a father and a son, and so we see a lot of the final parallels of this separate timeline with Claire and Brianna because Freedom and Whiskey is very much about a mother and a daughter. And so when Tony Graffia was in the writer's room and they were splitting this all up, she knew it was going to be a struggle, but she decided she really wanted to write both of these episodes because... She just felt like they fit together in a way and they needed to be written by the same person, I guess. And I think she felt like she had a connection to the material maybe. So it makes sense, I think, that she decided to write all of it. And I think she did a great job. This episode was directed by Brendan Mayer. And, you know, I've noticed that he has directed a lot of the episodes in season three. I guess I didn't really pay attention to it that much before. So yeah, Freedom and Whiskey, written by Tony Graffian, and directed by Brendan Mayer. Uh, I have several talking points tonight I want to get to. So the first one on the table is Roger. (laughs) Because, like, I freaking love Roger. And Roger, I'm sorry. He was pretty freaking amazing in this episode. (laughs) I mean, first of all, I really felt sorry for him. And I totally got why he decided to come to Boston for Christmas Um, first off, it's his first Christmas without his dad. His dad recently passed away and he just wants to be with Bree and Claire. I mean, who doesn't want to hang out with them? (laughs) I'm sure he misses them. And I absolutely love the line when he gets out of the taxi and he's like, this is either the most daft thing I've ever done or the most brilliant. (laughs) God, God, I love Roger. Uh, And I think Rick Rankin does such an amazing job portraying him as well. I know that, in seasons four and five, he gets a bit of a bad rap, but honestly, I think in seasons two and three, it was really like the Roger that we know and love. And so, yeah, I just really appreciated him, especially in this episode, maybe more so than any other episode uh, leading up to this because he really, he's there for Brie and Claire in a way that no other character is up until this point he's very much the calm to Brianna's storm and Bree's going through a lot in this episode. So to kind of see him be able to offer her comfort, but at the same time, like be a source of reason for her as well in a sounding board. I just, I really admire that a lot about him and that's kind of who he is throughout the series in general. He's just that person, um, which is part of the reason that I love him so much, to be honest. There's this scene between Roger and Brie, and it's when they're getting ready to go to the dedication for the fellowship that Harvard is doing in Frank's honor. And they're talking about Roger's like, don't you ever wonder about all of the people that have walked through here, like the things that have been said? And she's like, honestly, no, no, I've never really thought about it. And he's like, well, that doesn't sound like a historian's daughter. And she's like, well, I'm not a historian's daughter, am I? I'm the daughter of an 18th century Highlander. And so that kind of gives us a very good mindset of where Bree's at. At the beginning of this episode, we can see that she's mourning Frank very much so. But she's also got a very high level of confusion. She's having a genuine identity crisis. So she's in a really tough spot. I think spending the summer in Scotland, as much as she has learned about herself, it's not necessarily been all good discoveries. I think she was very comfortable in who she was at the beginning of all of this. And then when she found out that Jamie is her biological father, she doesn't really know what to do with that. I mean, who would know what to do with that? <sighs> It's so, it's such a hard thing to imagine. First off, having your mind blown, like time travel is real. Your mom got pregnant by some 18th century Highlander (laughs) and then traveled back 200 years to be with your adoptive father. Like that's just gotta be, that's gotta be pretty rough. I really do feel for Brie. And at the same time, like I think Claire is really struggling with seeing Brie struggle, if that makes sense. I mean, I don't think any parent ever wants to see their child struggle with who they are. And in in Claire's mind, when Brie drops out of Harvard, it's like, oh, shit, like she's throwing her life away. You know, I'm sure there's that part of her that is very, very panicked inside about it. And the scene where Brie's in class and she's listening to her professor talk about Paul Revere and the like the story that everybody knows of Paul Revere's night ride and and then he's like but it's a lie. Like it's not true. Like Samuel Prescott is the one that made it through the lines and warned everybody that the British was coming. So it's not true. And for all of that to happen, like I think Breeze probably just like doodling and you know like everybody does in their history class. <laughs> And then um, when her professor says, but it's a lie. Like, I've heard some people say that, like, oh, come on. Like, everybody knows that Paul Revere didn't really make that midnight ride. You know, like, it's not like it would be any news to anybody sitting in that history room. But I don't think that's the part that caught Bree's attention. The part that caught Bree's attention was when uh, he said it's a lie. And it kind of got her wheels turning a little bit. She's thinking, you're right. How much of history is made up? Like how much of history is based off of stories that one person has told another person? And it's, it's so very complicated. It's so very complicated. But I think this is really something that drives her through most of the episode. She's just, doubting everything that she's ever known about her life and doubting her purpose in life and how people really felt about her. Like she asked Claire, well, daddy must've hated me. Like you said, I look like Jamie and I'm just constantly reminding him that I'm not his kid. And like, he must've hated me. And Claire's just horrified. She's like, no, no, not at all. Like Frank loved you more than anything. And For Brie to have that doubt, I think, really breaks Claire's heart. And it makes her decision in the back half of this episode so much harder to deal with because she knows how much Brie is struggling right now. But again, I think that Roger's presence really helps Brie to kind of put the pieces together on who she is and how she feels about her identity Honestly, I think that that's the only reason, well, not the only reason, but one of the primary reasons that Claire felt she could leave because Roger could take care of Brie. And I think she had a very good sixth sense about that. She felt pretty good about it to be able to go back and find Jamie. So, yeah, that's... That's Brie. Um, she's a huge part of this episode. I think that Freedom and Whiskey is definitely her her driving episode of season three. And then we don't see her for the rest of the seasons. And then we pick back up with her in season four. So I felt like they had to give her and Roger a good a good closing point. So whenever they have that final scene where they're exchanging gifts after Claire leaves, I just... Like, I just love it. And the fact that he gave her a copy of A Christmas Carol, just, he's such a sweetheart. He's so thoughtful. And it was really his way of saying to her, like, look, I get it. And I'm here for you if you need me. Um, But he wasn't going to pry into it, so... That was so sweet. I loved that. And honestly, she did the same with him. She's like, yes, I will give you your lobster rolls and your Boston cream pies, and we can have an American Christmas if that's what you need to get through this time. So it's a new beginning for them, all in that, like, 15-second little blip after Claire leaves and they're curled up and Bree's reading to Roger, it's it's the signal of a brand new start for them. And I really, really love that that's kind of where the story leaves them at the end of season three. So or at the end of their season three, should I say. The next thing on my list is another relationship that we just get a blip of in this season. Claire and Joe, who doesn't love Joe Abernathy. <laughs> he's such a smart ass sometimes and he's very quick-witted, but he's such a good friend to Claire. I absolutely adore some of the scenes that they had together this time around. Because he's really Claire's sounding board. Um much like Roger is to Brie in a way, even though obviously there's romantic intentions there with Brian Roger, but um some of these conversations that Joe and Claire have I really, really loved that Claire chose to tell Joe Frank is not Brianna's biological father that Jamie is. I thought that that was very called for. (laughs) I think Claire does tell Joe like the whole story in the books. And I was really kind of uh, looking forward to seeing that. So I'm kind of a bit bummed that we didn't get that in the show. But, um, yeah, what did you guys think about that? That was one of my prompt questions for this episode on um, of the Sasnak Files was, um, did you feel that Claire should have told Joe the whole thing? Like, is that something that you were hoping for? Because I certainly was. And I guess they could potentially have some letter that Claire wrote Joe, like, later if it comes back into play. But having somebody else know everything, like, just to give Claire someone to talk to, if nothing else. So I was kind of missing that a little bit, but no use in crying over spilt milk, right? <laughs> but honestly, the one line that I really, really loved was when Joe said, look, nobody thought you and Frank were Ozzie and Harriet, okay? <laughs> like, I watched you live a half-life for 15 years, and if you have a second chance at love, you need to take it, and Brianna will come around. oh, Joe. And I think he helps Claire to see what's best for her as well, because there's this part of Claire that is a mother, right? She wants what's best for Brianna, and even if that means sacrificing her own happiness, then... That's what she's going to do if she has to do it. So I think Joe very much so was speaking to Claire's happiness in that moment, um, which really just makes my heart happy. Here's another one for you. What did you guys think of the autopsy? Like, some of you show watchers out there that did not know how this season ends. (laughs) Like, I'm genuinely curious what you guys thought about the autopsy. It was very interesting because in the books, Claire is widely known in the medical field, like in the immediate area, like not globally or anything, as a great diagnostician. Like other doctors call her onto their cases to figure out like anomalies, something that they can't figure out. They're like, oh, well, just ask Claire. (laughs) So um, I think that that comes into her supernatural abilities a little bit. And I'm not going to go too deeply into it because I don't want to spoil things for um, some of you that are watching and listening that have not got into later book storylines. But um, there's definitely more to that story. And I love that they kind of threw it in here. It also gave me this huge sense of deja vu a little bit. Uh, If you guys, I'm curious to know if you guys feel the same way, but... (laughs) Oh, Rebecca said, I thought it was so random. And then I went, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, exactly. So it really eerily reminded me of in the very first episode when Claire and Frank go down into the surgery at Castle Leak And Claire is just, like, looking around feeling really weird. And, like, I feel like I've been here before. But then again... Like, obviously, I haven't been here before. Like, it's just that odd sixth sense that she has. And I kind of feel like it was very similar for her in this sense. So uh, I'm glad that they threw it in, honestly, because it's one of the biggest opportunities for foreshadowing pretty much in the entire series. So I'm really glad that they threw it in there. And oh, the irony when we find out who it is and what actually happened to them. Like, it's so crazy. I love it. Um, Yeah, so great. So with kind of all of that out of the way, not that it's not important and not that I didn't want to talk about it. Obviously, I did want to talk about it. But the heart of this episode is two things. Claire's decision to go back and Claire and Brianna's relationship. And those two are very simultaneously intertwined. So Claire and Bree's relationship is extremely complicated. I don't think it surprises anybody for me to say that. Granted, the show does make it a lot more complicated than it is in the books. In the books, they have a much more close knit relationship, and Frank didn't really get between them the same way that he did in the show. Not that Frank did it intentionally, but there was very much this like Frank and Brianna versus Claire type feel to it almost. So that wasn't really a thing in the books, and I'm not sure that I'm a fan of that adaptation, to be honest. I really do miss the Claire-Brianna really close mother-daughter relationship that they have in the books. And I think that that would have been great to see in the show. I don't know why the showrunners felt that they needed to throw this rift between Claire and Brie in. And quite frankly, there are moments when I'm like, Brie is such a spoiled little brat in the show. She's not like that at all in the book. So it was very confusing for me. And I think that they decided to do a little bit of like CPR on her character in season four, which was really to the detriment of Roger in a lot of spots. But that's neither here nor there. we don't need to talk about it. <laughs> because that's like a whole other tangent. So we'll just we'll just leave it. But anyway, yeah, Claire and Bree's relationship grows by leaps and bounds in this episode. I mean, obviously the walls started to come down when Claire told Bree about Jamie. Obviously there it was a bit of a rough patch while Claire was trying to convince Bree that her story was legit. But <laughs> what are we what are you giving me snaps about, Rebecca? <laughs> I I got snaps about something probably the Brie being a brat comment was probably what she's talking about regardless. So um, the walls started to come down a little bit when Claire told Brie about Jamie and when Brie realized that Claire was telling the truth. And I think that they really bonded in those final days in Scotland. And then for whatever reason, like you can really tell in freedom and whiskey that in these months, since they've been back in Boston, there's been some sort of wall go back up. And I don't think that either one of them really knows for sure what's going on. They just kind of feel distanced from each other. And I think a lot of it is the Brianna identity crisis that we discussed earlier, but Claire is also really grieving Jamie again for the first time. It's very interesting. So They're, they're not communicating like they should have been. And so I think that is the tension in the fight that they have at the very beginning of this episode that poor Roger walks in on. (laughs) He was like, I'm, I'm just here for the, the lobster rolls and the Boston cream pies, guys. (laughs) Anyway. So yeah. When Claire's like, you're not throwing your life away and you're not going to quit Harvard. (laughs) And Bree's like, but you're not listening to me. Oh god. Anyway, so I was really glad when after Bree talks to Roger and he's like, you know, basically he says it doesn't really matter who your father is. Like you are who you are and everybody needs a history. It's part of you. There's no changing that. But you shouldn't let it impact who um who you become. Like you need to use it to inform who you are. Don't feel like it's this huge identity crisis for you. And he talks about a similar situation that he had with his own birth parents because he doesn't really remember his birth parents either. They died when he was very, very young. And so all he has are the stories that his uh, his father, the reverend, told him. And he said, but it it helped me to know myself, to hear these stories. And so regardless of who you are, like, who you are biologically, both of your fathers impacted the person that you are today and in your personality. So I just found that really great that Roger is the the voice of reason for Brie because let's face it, she kind of needs it. <laughs> so <laughs> when Claire and Brianna come together, there are several conversations that they have. The first one of really big importance, I felt like, was the one after the dedication to Frank at Harvard because Bree sees this conversation going down between Sandy and Claire and guys can we just talk for a minute about this Sandy chick like what the what the fuck like seriously I never really got mad before when I was watching this but to be honest when I watched it tonight I got mad, like mad, because you know what? Like, honey, fate is never going to send you another woman's husband. It's just not, okay? I'm sorry if you feel like Claire wasted her time with Frank, but you know what? Frank didn't give her the whole story. And here we are again with this theme of what is history? It's just a story. How reliable is it really? Because everybody has their own version of events, you know? So clearly Sandy was not getting the whole story either. And we kind of hear this and what she's saying to Frank. Like he said that he stayed for Brianna, and you should have just given him his freedom. Like you wasted 20 years with him when I could have had him and blah, blah, blah. Woe is me. And I get that she's mourning Frank and she loved him. Yes. But honey, come on now. Because Claire did offer Frank a divorce. It was his choice to stay and... I'm sorry if you got gypped in the process, but he had a chance to leave Claire and he didn't. This is not Claire's fault. This is Frank's fault. This entire situation. And just because he finally got fed up with it and decided to leave her and then died shortly after, that's not Claire's fault. Like, mm -mm. no, no, no. So (laughs) I was honestly really mad that Sandy had the balls to walk up to Claire and just... Like, light into her like that. Like, who do you think you are? Like, I'm sorry, but you were having an affair with this man. This woman was his wife. And what happens between them is between a husband and a wife. And the fact that she felt she had the authority to step up and say, you should have just divorced him because he's mine. Like, hell no, he's not yours. He was Claire's. And until he chose to divorce Claire, he was Claire's. So walk away. Laura says, but Sandy puts it in perspective for Claire that Frank was the love of her life, that she would give anything for one more day. It gives Claire a push for her one more day with Jamie, the love of her life. And yes, I, I will grant that. Like it does give Claire a kick in the rear, like a nice foot in the backside. Like you have a chance to go to Jamie and you need to go to Jamie. I agree with that, Laura, but at the same time, like it really just, ticked me off. Like, I just felt like Sandy was, didn't really have the right to have that conversation with Claire. I just didn't think that it was her place. So that's my opinion on it. I mean, I can see where you're coming from as well. So, um, but anyway, yeah, that never really made me angry before, but it made me angry tonight. Anyway, what I find ironic is that here we are with Sandy not having the full picture Brie sees this conversation going on between Sandy and Claire. And then after the event's over, here Brie is like, hey, who was that woman? Like, I've seen her before. And she's putting the pieces together. Like, she knows, like, in her head, she knows that Frank had an affair with this woman. And Claire wasn't going to tell her, wasn't going to burden her with that. Like, didn't want to taint the image that Brie has of Frank, which I really admire and respect, but at the same time, Bree's right. Like, you promised me honesty. We need to have this discussion. Like, I know that Daddy loved her. Like, I could tell. I I need to know who she is and what the heck happened. And so when Claire is honest with Bree about that, like, yeah, they were having an affair. It went on for a long time, and he was planning on marrying her. That is another, like... Brick that falls in place like just another domino to kind of help Brie understand who this man was. Like she held Frank on such a high pedestal that it was really hard for her to imagine that her mother could pine for another man for all of these years, A. And B, like it was really hard for her to forgive her mom. I think because she had this idealized version of who Frank was, like who her dad was. Like he was this great man. And why would you ever betray him like that? And da-da-da-da-da. And she's slowly but surely realizing that no, like Frank was a human being. Like he was a person, he made mistakes. He had his own life. He had his own crosses to bear. Like, he made his own decisions. He he slept in the bed he made. So Brie is slowly but surely coming to terms with that, which I really just find beautiful, this entire journey that she has in this episode. And so as they're having this moment of honesty there in the cloisters, Claire's like, well, while we're talking, there's something else I need to be honest with you about. And this is when she reveals to Bree that Jamie's alive. And Bree's like, "Oh, well this means that you can go back to him." And Claire it just she kind of puts the stop sign up and she's like, "No, this is not why I'm telling you this." Okay? Like, I'm not telling you this to make you feel like I'm 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 not going to leave. You're my life. I love you. You're my daughter. And you need me here, so I'm staying here. I just want you, I want there to be full transparency between us. Like, this is something that I know, and I want you to know it too. It doesn't mean that I love him more than you. And it's it's a really fantastic conversation that leads into... <laughs> Sorry, I'm reading some comments. Um, it's this really great conversation, you know, that Brie... I think has felt almost a version of survivor's guilt in a way that she's like, well, it's because of me that this, that, or the other happened to you. Like you must resent me for the fact that you lost Jamie. And Claire is like, no, no, I don't resent you. Like I never held it against you. I resented the fact that I had to leave Jamie, but I never blamed you for it. And I found that such a beautiful moment of clarity for both of them that they've been holding on to so much through all of this. And I think it's something that they both needed, like for them to get to this place where they realize that what Claire did, she did out of love for her daughter. Like she never, ever had feelings of resentment towards her like she loves her for her not for the man that fathered her and I loved that line I thought it was fantastic which leads into this other conversation that they have I'm trying to think where it is in the grand scheme of things but it's the it's the conversation they have where Claire is saying like have you really thought this through because Claire's thinking about the impossibility of the situation like she had this amazing experience and in a lot of ways went further than the astronauts are going to the moon (laughs) like she traveled 200 years and was it good enough to have had that experience once like she got her daughter out of it she knew what this epic love felt like but at the same time like yes she's craving to go back but is it necessary a and b is it worth what she's giving up to go So there's a lot of contemplation going on, and it's really such a phenomenal character piece in a lot of ways. I think Katrina did a fantastic job in this episode, and I think it was very well written that we are getting these complex scenes. They're not intensely cognitive scenes. Like, it doesn't take a lot to get out of these scenes what you need to get out of them, but you feel them deeply, like, emotionally you get the the turmoil that's going on inside of these characters. So I think for that reason more than anything else is why I love this episode so much. But when they have that final scene, Claire and Bree, she's like, "You know, Bree, have have you really thought about this? Like if I I know you say you want me to go, but I want you to understand that if I go, I might not ever come back. Like, this may be the last time that we ever see each other. Can you live with that? Because I don't know if I can. And, oh, man. Like, this scene, honestly, is probably one of the most emotional scenes for me to watch. Just because I'm so close to my mother. And I think that, in a lot of ways, I identify with this relationship and this kind of talk that they're having. Sophie has said on multiple occasions that one of the great things that she loves about Freedom and Whiskey as an episode is that she feels like, yes, there is this relationship, like this mother-daughter dynamic. But at the same time, it's really beautiful because there are scenes in this episode where Sophie, it's almost transposed, like Brianna takes on the role of mother to Claire in a lot of ways. Like they're really great friends by the end of this episode, which is just so beautiful. So they're talking about this. And I think there was part of Brie, honestly, that was thinking, oh, well, she can go and say hi to Jamie and she'll be back. You know, she hadn't really thought about it like that. But when she does think about it, she still comes to the same conclusion that no, you need to go. Like, I want you to go. And it's not necessarily that, like, Brianna's trying to get Claire out of the house. Like, no, she genuinely understands the situation, but at the same time also knows that this is what Claire needs. And one of the greatest lines of that entire conversation is when Bree says, you told me that what you felt for Jamie was, was the strongest thing you'd ever felt in your entire life. It's, it makes me want to cry just thinking about it because um, Claire has this moment of doubt. It's so human. And she's like, what if he doesn't love me anymore? Of course he loves her. Like, we know that. We have watched him pine for her for the past 20 years. Uh, We know he still loves her. And I think she probably does in her heart as well. But dang, like... for her to feel that doubt was so human in that moment, so real. Like, we can all identify with having that insecurity of not being good enough, not being lovable. And um, to even see Claire, someone so gorgeous, so smart, so just amazing. She's amazing. And for her to have those doubts as well just really spoke to me. It was so great. And so... They have this fantastic conversation, her and Brie, and she's like, you gave Jamie up for me, and I have to give him back to you. Like, Brie realizes how epic this love is between her mother and her father. And she has this great line in, in the episode where she's like, I don't need you the way I did when I was little. Like, I'm all grown up. And... As much as that breaks Claire's heart in a lot of ways to hear that her daughter doesn't need her anymore, she also gets it because, like, she did her job. You know, her daughter's ready and she'll be okay without her. Brie will always need her mother, but not in the way that she did when she was little. It's so great. I love this moment between them. Yeah, so they have this conversation. Everything's really... Kind of set in stone at that point, like Claire's deciding to move forward with um, with going to Jamie. But there's always that that hesitation there because she does have this very strong draw to her daughter. It's it's a mother and child dynamic that um, Meryl and Tony, when they um, when Tony was writing the scripts, they went back and forth about multiple times because they wanted to make sure that that conflict was there. And I think 100% they succeeded in that. And quite frankly, like, this was not something that was explored in the books. And I was always kind of, like, halfway out the door with it. I was like, really? Like, Claire's not hesitant at all to leave Brie? Like, it just kind of, like, I get it. She loves Jamie and she's excited to go back to him. But that she didn't ever really question leaving her daughter just... It was kind of odd to me. I mean, I know that's how it was written, and if that's how it was written, and that's that's what happened, <laughs> but um, but it just didn't really make sense on a on a like internal level with me. Like it just didn't kick, click. So, I appreciated that the show wrote this in. I thought it was great. So, one other thing that I really did want to talk about a little bit was the conversation between claire and roger when he first comes back <laughs> and he like does the big reveal right that jamie's alive and he's so happy he's so giddy he's like guess what jamie's alive <laughs> and and when claire is not excited about it he's kind of just like oh well but i don't understand really and Claire's really torn, like really, really torn. And you, I understand why, because Brie's going through a lot. And that would be hard to just like picture you going after your own happiness when your daughter who you love with all your heart is going through something so, so tough. But also she brings up a really good point that she's had her heart broken so much over this crap I can't blame her for being a little hesitant, you know? Um, Rebecca said, Claire was so pissed. I don't think she was. I don't think she was pissed. I think she just had this gut check moment where she was like, but this isn't okay. Like I can't just pick up and drop everything to go to him. I think that's what Roger fully intended on her doing was like, Oh, you found him. Okay. I'll leave tomorrow. And that is not at all what happened. So, um, it was really great this scene that they had because she she flat out tells him. She's like, look, 20 years ago, I shut the door on the past. And when you told me he had survived Culloden, I began to hope. And then when they didn't find Jamie, she just, she lost hope. Like, I've lost things. Like, last episode, we were talking about what everybody lost in that episode. Claire lost hope. And so that's what she was. She was like, I can't go through that again. Like, I just can't. I can't allow my heart to break like that again. And so I really felt for her, somebody who has been through so much, and she's just scared that it's all going to be ripped away from her again. And she she can't deal with that. And on top of all of that, what she would be dealing with personally, if this went south, to think about leaving Brianna Like, oh my goodness. Like, she just, she can't even imagine that. And so as much as she appreciates what Roger did in looking for Jamie, it just doesn't sit well with Claire. So she appreciates it. And like she says, like, you had good intentions. Like, I appreciate the effort, but I just can't. I can't deal with this. And please don't tell Brianna about it because she knows... Bree's going to tell her to go. And Claire is like, I cannot leave my daughter right now. So it's it's a really great arc for her, I guess. And I really did like that scene between Claire and Roger. Honestly, some of my favorite scenes in this entire series are the scenes between Claire and Roger, Katrina and Rick. They do such a great job. Um, so I always get like really happy when I see that they have a scene together. So in the end obviously Claire decides to go back to Jamie. It's not an easy decision by any means and I think that they, the show made the right choice in in depicting it that way. but I just really appreciate how supportive Bree and Roger are. I love how it was Bree's decision for Claire to go like she's like, no, I am okay with this and that would that's what propels Claire forward but then that they go through the trouble of like getting her a a Quick guide to Scottish history and coins for her to use on her travels and all of that. I just, and a gemstone to go through the stones was really just absolutely fantastic, honestly. And then they had the clever idea of the bat suit, which in the books, Claire's costume was something that they just got at the store like there was this designer who was really into like 18th century replicas or something like that and Claire just got something from her but it was kind of flimsy and it wasn't very warm and it, it, it didn't last very long so I'm glad that they did this where Claire makes her own costume and this costume literally lasts her the rest of season three that was one of the huge things that Tony Dressbox said when she was designing this for Katrina, she wanted to make sure that it had multiple layers. It was going to be interesting to look at because people were going to be looking at it for a long time. So it has the cloak and then it has the coat and then it has the vest underneath. It has that beautiful linen blouse and then the skirt, but the skirt has under layers so that as she travels through the rest of season three and goes beyond, like there's a different look every episode, but she's wearing the same garment. So it was very interesting. I did really like that about this costume. Uh, and I freaking love that they call it the Suit and that they included the Batman song in it. <laughs> the score for this episode blows my socks off every time because there are so many callbacks in the actual score that Bear McCreary wrote that bring other characters into the episode without us physically seeing them. When Brie is going through all of Frank's things at the very beginning of this episode, we hear his theme playing with the clarinet and the strings. And immediately you think of Frank when you hear that. So it brings it to the forefront of your mind, even when he hasn't been mentioned or he's not physically on the screen And then the same can be said when Claire is fingering Jamie's pearls and sitting by the window looking out, Jamie and Claire's theme is playing in the background. And so you know she's thinking about Jamie. Without anything being said, without Jamie physically being on the screen, you know that that's what she's pondering in that moment. Um, Same can be said about bringing contemporary music into a show that is about time travel. Um Outlander is very good about picking and choosing their moments. Um a very good example of this is at the end of of Lost Things when they play a hard rain's gonna fall. That was so fantastic. It it makes me cry every time I watch it because it was such a perfect selection for that episode. And then to have the Batman song playing while Claire is making the bat suit in this episode, it's just so perfect. It's a way to make a relatively serious episode a little more lighthearted, but it also dates it. So you know that they're talking about the sixties because that's when that music was very iconic in that time. So like another there are a couple of different episodes later on that also have contemporary music in them that seem kind of out of place, but they fit absolutely perfectly. And we'll talk about those as we go because I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. But um Outlander does pick and choose when they use more modern music. And I totally think it benefits the show. They're very careful about it. Most of the time they just use Bear McCreary's very beautiful very gorgeous, very time appropriate music. And it's fantastic. But in using that music for the majority of the time, it makes those moments when there's any other type of music so much more powerful. So I really do appreciate and love that part of the show. Like the music nerd in me is just like a little bit just like giddy whenever I hear these different types of music. It's just really great. And so for that reason, also, I love it when they change the theme music or the the theme song every season. I'm always very anxious to see like what they're changing it to because I love seeing the interpretation of the music based on what the themes of this next season are going to be. So 10 out of 10. I love Bear McCreary and whoever the show's music producer are, like they do such a fantastic job. So hats off to them. The last thing, last couple of things I want to talk about are just like technicality things. Nothing to complain about. Honestly, there were just a couple of things that I really applauded the choices. So initially when this episode was being written, it did not take place at Christmas time. And then Tony had this inspiration, like it clicked in her head, very close to the start of filming. And they had to scramble to get it all done. But everybody agreed that it would be so much better as a Christmas episode. So they made it work but i adore that this happens around christmas even though it makes it all the more heartbreaking when claire leaves because it's like christmas eve or christmas day i'm like that's such a terrible time for all of this to be happening you know but at the same time i think that that time period really did make this episode in a lot of ways like to have the boston house all done up with christmas decorations and the christmas lights on the on the street posts and all of that stuff. Like it added something special to this episode that we don't really ever get in the rest of the show. So yay, I appreciated that. And the final thing that I wanted to talk about before we get into like the time travel and all of that stuff, because obviously we've got to talk about that, um, is the transition. Huh. Outlander has some of the best transitions I've ever seen on TV and this one. With the puddle, Claire stepping into the puddle, and then all of a sudden she's in the 18th century. That was very, very reminiscent of the um, grabbing hands in the uh, season two premiere, Through a Glass Darkly. Like, it's Frank and Claire, and then they spin the camera around, and then it's Jamie and Claire. I thought that was genius, and it very much so reminds me of this episode in the puddle transition. So I adore that. And so we're back in the 18th century and man is it good to see it. Like like uh, it just makes me happy every time I see it. Like so so exciting. And I love how Claire literally gets out of the carriage and she asks that little boy, "Oh, I'm looking for a printer, um, a Malcolm." And he's like, "Oh yeah, just just up the road, like in Carfax close." And she just looks at him as he walks away and you can just tell she's like, "Well, that was easy." <laughs> Like, like she's just not expecting it to be that easy like all of a sudden okay well i'm gonna see jamie in like a matter of minutes like as soon as i can walk up the street like and i'm sure she's feeling a little bit of anxiety but as she walks through the close and she sees the a malcolm sign on on the stoop or whatever she just touches it and you can see that happiness settle upon her like This is Jamie's like, I'm so close. Like Jamie's here to see that this is his life. Like there, I'm sure there's a part of her that's so proud of everything that he's accomplished given where they left things and knowing like they researched him, they followed him. They know, she knows what he's been through, at least a good portion of it. So, um, I'm sure there's part of her that's just so absolutely proud of him in that moment. Um, And also really excited and very nervous (laughs) to walk up the stairs. Um, But she she pulls up her big girl pants and and walks up the stairs. And I do not think I'm alone when I fully anticipated this ending with the door with the bell, like the bell ringing and then just like go to black and be done with it. I was fully anticipating that. So when it kept going, I was like, oh, my God. Oh my God, are we going to get the reunion this episode? Oh my God. (laughs) Um, uh, But it was so good. Like just she's walking in, she's looking at the shop and the set decoration, like John Gary Steele and his team, they do such a phenomenal job with these shops. Like you can totally see how Katrina walked in and she was just 100% in it. Like there were books on the shelves. There were papers everywhere. There were quill and ink and Jamie's hat and cloak sitting on the desk right there. And she's just like taking it all in, you know? And then she hears Jamie's voice. Is that you, Jordy? And she just freezes. She's like, oh my God. Like, she's slightly panicked. You can tell. She's like, oh my God. Like, oh my God. (laughs) Oh my God. And um, then she walks over and she sees him. And when he turns around and looks at her, there's oh god there's it's such a great moment and then he faints <laughs> and i will never forget when my brother watched this episode for the first time he texted me and he said that dude done fainted <laughs> like, holy shit and i was like well wouldn't you faint if you hadn't seen your wife for 20 years and she just randomly showed up <laughs> he was like oh uh, yeah i probably would so um very realistic reaction evidently but the look on Katrina's face, it was just so perfect. 2-A-T. She was like, like, oh my god, I killed him. Like, I can't believe I traveled all the way back in time and I freaking gave him a heart attack. He's probably dead. Like, oh my god. And that's where it went off. I'm like, way to go, Matt Roberts and Tony Graffia. Like, they planned it out because um <clears throat> Matt Roberts wrote a Malcolm and so they, like, very much were together on their decision of where we're going to end this. Um, And they had the great idea to end it here and then to rewind and start over with Jamie's point of view of that day of events uh, in A. Malcolm, which we can talk about more next week. But I just felt like it was so awesome because we get the reunion twice. Like, I appreciate it so, so much. It makes my heart happy. Like, I honestly just want to go watch A. Malcolm right now. (laughs) I'm not going to. I'm going to wait until next week so we can chat about it next week. But yes, I absolutely love Freedom and Whiskey. Everything about it. Like I said, it's, it's in my top five for sure. Actually in my top three right now. We'll see where we are after season six. But yeah. I I I know I said it was a step under Dragonfly and Amber, but I actually lied when I said that um, because it's actually The Ballad of Roger Mack from season five after the Dragonfly and Amber and then Freedom and Whiskey. So I'm curious. One day we will have to have a live discussion where we talk about our favorite episodes of Outlander because like that would be really fun. I hope you guys would join me for that. But anyway, yeah, that's my analysis of... Freedom and Whiskey. It's been a fun one. I'm glad that you guys stuck with me for it. I still got six people watching at like 11 o'clock Eastern, so that's impressive. (laughs) Uh, I hope you guys had a good time tonight. I know I did. This should be up on all of your listening platforms tomorrow, hopefully, is the goal. So um, if not later tonight, we'll see how far I get. But yeah, thanks for sticking with me, guys. Make sure to join me next week where we discuss 306 A. Malcolm, and it is a doozy. (laughs) Absolutely love it. I know that it's a lot of your guys' favorites. It won the favorite episode of season three slot when we did that bracket. So hopefully um, you guys will join me next week for that. Make sure to check all of your podcast accounts for that one to pop up. Um, Also, make sure to check out, um, like, keep updating on your feed because I'll be releasing my listener comments thread for you guys to check out. Um, Make sure to leave your thoughts on that episode. That'll be uh, happening in the next couple of days. And also, make sure to vote, vote, vote on your favorite episode of Season 4. In the morning, I will be releasing the second matchup of the Final Four, which will be Blood of My Blood versus The False Bride. While I have you all here, uh, in two weeks, Rebecca and I are going to be doing an episode on Frank. It's going to be called Between a Rock and a Hard Place, because that's where Frank finds himself (laughs) for pretty much this entire book series. So um, that will be a live, and hopefully you guys will join us. I will be posting event information relatively shortly on that, probably the middle of this week sometime, so... Uh, make sure to set your calendars. That will be February 17th. I can't remember the time right now. So I will make sure to post it in the event here in a here in a couple days. So yes, um, that is that. Have a good night, everybody. Like I said, make sure to tune in next week for Hey Malcolm 306. Yay. And then uh, we'll have our midseason break. So without further ado I will let you guys go I know it's getting late thanks for sticking with me tonight be safe and I will chat at you next week bye